Children, the podcast hosted by Dustin and Callie. Follow us on social media on Twitter at Married underscore Show, Facebook Married with Children Show, on Instagram Married with Children Show, or reach out to us in an email Married with Children Show at gmail.com. We're always looking for guests and sponsors. If you have a name of a guest that would be an interesting interview on the Married with Children Show, please send that information to us through social media or straight to our email address. Also, if you have a small business that you'd be interested in being a sponsor on the show, please reach out to us through an email so that we can work out a way that best suits you and our listeners. Also, if you like the podcast, be willing to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Welcome back to Married with Children, the podcast. Um, We have another guest in studio with us tonight. Uh, going to talk about something that probably most of you listeners don't have much background in, and that's the uh, Highland Games. Uh, and we have a competitor in the Highland Games with us tonight, and I'm really excited to spend some time kind of talking about what the Highland Games are, what goes into it. Um, it's a very interesting event, so I, I've I've always wanted to kind of promote it as we, we got this podcast started, and we're lucky enough to have a, a competitor in here with us. But before we introduce her... Callie, good evening. Hello. How are you? Not bad. Not too bad so far. Awesome. And our and our competitor, our guest in the studio, who we uh, thank so greatly for being here, is Victoria Shireman. And uh, Victoria, good evening. Hello. All right. Victoria, if you would, to start here, can you give our guests a little bit of a background of you and, you know, where, where kind of your athletic stuff started? Sure. Um, my athletic journey started in middle school with cross country. Quickly realized that was not the sport for me. <laughs> um, and switched over to track and field in middle school. Did absolutely everything. Um, high school sprinted and threw. Got recruited out of high school to throw for Indiana Wesleyan University. Um, I was a... Two-time, two-time national champion in college in the hammer throw. Very Um, cool. Yeah, three-time national runner-up. Got second more times than I won, but that's okay. Um, Got out of that, then I actually coached collegiately, coached throwers for a couple of years, um, and then settled into teaching. um, And from there, just kind of got bored. got wrangled into it i got peer pressure a friend said hey here's this thing we should try it and i said no i don't think i'm interested over and over and then finally one day he said i actually submitted your papers so you're gonna do it with me and i said okay that's the best way to get involved in something is just be told you have to go do this yes going going back to you throwing in college though what all are the throwing events in college um, in college, you throw the shot put and discus, which are standard in high schools in Indiana. And then you will also throw javelin and right. the Olympic hammer. The javelin, I think, would be the, and, and you can tell me I'm totally wrong. I think that would probably be the most difficult one. Yes. Because it just seems awkward. It is awkward. Um, and it's the lightest of all the implements. 
uh i know this is a really stupid question the, that's the one where you like literally just have the little stick and you yeah. throw it looks like a spear i mean i'm sure i know it's there's a lot more to that <laughs> yeah like, it's just totally. a, it's a stick you toss out like you're okay, playing then. fetch I'm with your dog i'm sure that i'm mentally picturing the correct sport yes <laughs> okay. you got it okay. you got it gotcha um but it's really light and you run with it and you don't run in any of the other events um and when you throw it i only threw it a handful of times in competition you really want to throw it like a like a baseball because that's how we've been taught to throw our whole lives. But if you do that, it creates a lot of tension in your elbow, and a lot of people will actually tear their tendons in their elbow really? from it. So you have to have incredible flexibility because your arm is supposed to go straight back and then straight up over your head. That's how you're supposed to throw it. I'm not very mobile, so I couldn't ever do it very well. But it is hands down the hardest. And, and wow. would you say that it is the most... Is it the most finesse and technique? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, and I, I know that a lot of people, I think, think that shot and discus and, and hammer are a lot of just brute strength, but it's a lot of finesse and technique as well. Mm-hmm. But it, that one, the javelin, just seems like to me, it's it's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. you can't you can't just uh, power arm a javelin very well, um, which is funny that you mentioned that because there is a whole style of technique that involves you run down the runway and then as you throw it, you're like part of your lever is to throw your body on the ground and so there's it is very delicate and a lot of finesse and then you see them and they're running and they're running and then bam they just hit the ground (laughs) hilarious every time hilarious yeah so they face plan on purpose yes i'm gonna have to look that up on youtube afterwards A a whole tactic some people do it on accident but right. <laughs> some people me. they plan it and that's like their finish so so, so that had to be created out of the person that didn't do it on purpose yeah. and then said and, and i've created really this far. whole technique i would think so <laughs> it has to be where it came they must from have, like pr'd on that one and like threw it really right. far so and it's like gonna do okay this let's all try the this again now. and <laughs> that's awesome all right so now you got peer pressured into the highland games tell us a little bit about the background of what the highland games are so Highland Games are traditional Scottish athletics. Um, and what this, as far as I know, originated as um, was the men would get drunk, start seeing who could throw heavy things the furthest. They'd drink some beer and start challenging each other to different competitions. And it has just slowly evolved um, into a regulated sport Mm -hmm. but it is essentially um throwing heavy things as far or as high as you can in standard apparel you have to wear a kilt if you don't wear a kilt you don't get to compete all right i didn't realize that either so that you have to be in a kilt Mm -hmm. and is that male and female male and female okay um now is there like a you said it's sanctioned is there like a series that you compete in um Yes, there are a couple of different ones, and I actually can't remember any of them right now. That's okay. Um, there, So the system that keeps track of everyone in the United States, because there's a different uh, kind of unified body in uh, over, overseas in Europe, um, is called NASGA, North American Scottish Association, or something along those lines, Scottish Games Association maybe. Um, and that keeps track of all competitors and all scores. And then that's the database that they use to pull rankings for things like nationals and worlds. Okay. All right. So let's go through the events that you compete in. Okay. What? And let me ask you this. 
are the women's events and the men's events outside of the weight of the objects do you compete in the same exact events the men do yep okay so go ahead and start with what's the first event you would like to talk about so um you typically have a set schedule and men are the quote unquote traditional competitors so they will usually go through the set schedule and women then rotate in um but you almost always start with stone events and you have a heavy stone and a light stone so the heavier stone is called braemar um you also almost always progress from heavy events to light events so it's easier on your body uh, but the Braemar stone is a standing throw, if you are familiar with shot put at all. So it is, um, and you're going to throw it just like you would a power throw in shot put. Um, for women, the stone is usually 14 or 16 pounds. For men, it's going to be between 18 and 24. Because there is kind of a range, but there's not necessarily a standardized, like, it has to be this weight. Because it's an actual stone, it correct? It is a literal oh, stone. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it not, it's not like a Not rep- like a shot put, like, no, it's, it's always a stone. this amount. Oh. I actually think that I have some stones in my trunk, if you guys want to see. <laughs> I, do, I want to see them after <laughs> the episode. If you want to see the implements later, I actually think I have all of my implements in my trunk. So <laughs> That's great. But they are, it's, a, it's just a literal stone that someone found in a quarry or got in their yard or something. And, and it hits in that range. So you're like, okay, mm-hmm. let's do this one. You know, That's I awesome. couldn't imagine if the person that, and I hope this never happens to you, but if someone broke into your car and got in your trunk <laughs> and saw these implements <laughs> in the trunk, they have to think, I don't think I want to mess with this human yeah, being. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> they would be very confused. For a while, um, so one of the events involves a pitchfork. And for a while, I just left my pitchfork in my back seat. <laughs> I love that. So, like, you're thinking about breaking into my car, but I'm driving around with a pitchfork. You sure you want that? <laughs> so, when when we talk about the, you know, the stone put or mm-hmm. what is it? What's a what's a good distance? Mm. What do you? What's your PR? Well, uh, stones are actually my worst event, probably. In Braemar, you're going to look for something like a really good stone throw for women is going to be like a mid to high 30 in Braemar um, wow. for a 14-pound stone. If you can get 35 or 36, you're doing pretty well. Wow. My PR is 32 because I'm not very good at stone. Why, why do you think you're not very good at it? Oh, I have bad timing. Okay. Do you do the whole like spin so oh, well, I guess they don't, they don't do that in shot put. You just kind of do the whole... In the Braemar stone, you're not allowed to... It's a standing throw. You're not allowed to oh, ad- I guess that's right. advance towards the trig. So you okay. have to plant your feet and keep them there. In the open stone, which is then... I think we throw a nine-pound stone pretty consistently. Um, you can. You can move. So you could do like a glide shot put. You could do a rotational. Right. Um, a lot of people do the shuffle if you're familiar with the seventh grade shuffle, because um, we throw off of grass. Okay. So you're throwing in cleats or turf shoes or something that gives you a little bit more traction. Right. Um, I actually do rotate. I don't do a full rotation uh, because that's too scary on the yeah. grass. I'm pretty sure I'm going to fall down and, or blow out a knee or something. Uh, but I do a partial rotation because I am short. Oh, to get more leverage or something. Yeah, okay. compared to... Almost everyone I compete against. I am generally the shortest person on the field. How tall are I, that's you? That's what I was going to say. Like, I mean, I know this is going to shock, but like, you're taller than me. <laughs> well, that's in fact, the, yeah. I am. I'm five seven. 
was going to say, like, you're not short. No, I'm a very normal sized person. What? Well, because my, in, in case, just to, just yeah, to I knew throw this, this was coming up. Just to throw this out there, in case anyone didn't know, the average height for a woman is five five. Which, therefore, I am slightly above average because I am five five and a half. So, I mean, you're doing yeah, well over that. You're you're a C plus. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I can't I can't do anything about how tall I am. So, so what I'll is, take it. <laughs> what's the normal height that you're you, of your competitors? Um, we are a solid range. So the number one female right now in the United States and the world. Mm, she's probably six one or six two. Wow! And then from there, it there's a fairly good interval down to me. Um, but usually five nine, five ten is the average okay. on the field. Um, on the women's side, it's becoming more and more like elite collegiate throwers who are not going to the Olympics, looking really? for something else to do, get into Highland hmm. Games. That's kind of so cool. We're up and coming. Very cool. Gotcha. Okay, so we've got the the. Uh, tell me what the the name of the stone is again. Braemar. Braemar. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's the What's another event? So you've got your Braemar stone and your open stone. From there, in a traditional order, you are going to move to the weights. And this, you have heavyweight or lightweight, because we're good at naming stuff apparently in the Scottish <laughs> community. Uh, and the heavyweight is heavy. And then the lightweight is lighter. So for the men, the heavyweight is 56 pounds. Mm -hmm. Yes. And women's heavyweight is 28 pounds. So then the lightweight is exactly half of that. So men throw a 28-pound lightweight and women throw a 14-pound lightweight. And does this have to be thrown one-handed? Yes. So this, the stones are very much like a shot put. The next thing that this is closest to, the weights is relatively similar to discus. Um, you are physically holding on to something and it's a lot heavier obviously than a discus so it's a little bit different but it is one a one-handed throw you can only hold on to it um, and you ideally want to turn in two circles through the trig which let's see nine feet I think a trig is nine feet back to front okay so and unlike um, collegiate throwing like Olympic throwing uh, you have to start and end with one foot in the trig. So when I start my weight throw, I always line up on the far right side, and I start with one foot in and one foot out, so I have room to wobble to move to the left if I need to, which I almost always do um, just based on my technique, how I drive through the ring. So then I will finish, ideally, both feet right in the middle, but if I were to finish off to the left with one foot outside... You're still okay. That's still a legal throw as long as my right foot didn't get out at any point. Okay. Now, when we say... Explain to me what the weight looks like. Is it got a handle? Is it a chain? Is it... So, there is a standardized length, usually. Um, I don't remember what that number is. So, my weights, it is just a cube of steel just a little cube with three or four chain links on it and then just a round steel handle okay are Uh, some of them with no chain just fixed or is it always a chain um you will have some that are fixed but those are only used for the weight over bar which is a height event okay so you want it to be there's a standard length for the distance events and then we shorten it for the height events um and you want essentially you want it to be fixed for the height events usually you'll end up with like maybe one chain length but not a lot of distance between the actual implement and the handle Mm. 
and I watched some of the wait over the bar to get prepared for this. I think that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. The the pitchfork one we're going to get to is really mm-hmm. cool, but the crazy thing to me is, and and I'll let you, I'm going to let you explain it first, and I'm going to get into it. Okay, well, weight over bar. Um, you take your heavyweight, so men have that 56-pound weight, women it's a 28-pound weight, and you stand somewhere in the vicinity of the bar. A lot of people line up pretty close to right underneath it, and you are throwing that weight up over your head, over the bar directly behind you. And how high is the bar? Um, that depends on the competition and the level okay. of the competition. Um so usually we start relatively low to give everyone a shot. Um, elite level women, it's going to be 15 to 18 feet. So it starts low and then everybody yeah. clears it. It's like a high Correct. jump type It is, and thing. you get you get three attempts at each height gotcha. um, to make it over. What, what amazed me, and you weren't out here when I watched the video, <laughs> these guys at the Arnold Classic were doing this. And, I mean, you like squat down and it's between your legs mm-hmm. and then you're you're launching it. But when they knew they had made it, and you could tell, obviously, at practice, they would back up on the other side where the, the weight is going to come down, and they're, like, celebrating. And they would take one glance up, and they knew where it was going to go. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that's what I like. my I would, luck is it's coming back on top I know, of my head. I, w- I would run straight forward the other direction <laughs> because I wouldn't know where in the world Which, it would come obviously, down. Obviously, these guys have done this thousands and right. thousands of times, but it was just amazing. They would they just kind of float backwards and celebrate. And I'm thinking, that thing's still not come down yet. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And there was one guy at the classic that i watched that he actually actually i don't think that was that one i think that was the pitchfork but he threw it over the rafter mm-hmm. that was unbelievable yeah but we'll get to that yeah. one but that but it was wow. crazy um, so with with the weight over bar the fastest way actually to hit yourself is to run out from underneath it because if, right? if you so they kind of float backwards and celebrate because when you finish it you finish kind of in an inverted c position mm-hmm. um and if you do that, when you let go, it's automatically going to go behind you, and you can just feel it. You can usually see it. Most people, um, when they finish, their heads are looking up, so you're looking at it. Gotcha. But when they throw it, and they don't finish and don't hit that inverted C position, and then like step forward, they've thrown it out directly in front of their bodies, and now oh, okay. have stepped directly well, into that the makes, path. That makes that sense. That does. So coming from that Olympic throwing style, is that one that takes a long time to kind of transition to? Um, for for most people, it doesn't seem to. For me, it has. Uh, it is a lot like an Olympic snatch, mm-hmm. if you are familiar with Olympic lift. Absolutely. Um, and that is timing. And as we are finding, I am very strong. And I have a lot of just explosive power, but my timing is bad. Mm-hmm. So, um, I would think that's a lot of hips. You it know, is. getting your hips through, and again, the timing of when you hit those hips. Yes. And I uh, am actually have come a long way this season. I spent a lot of time in the off season um, with just a handle in my living room, just going through the motions for hours. Um, and this season, so far preseason, I've had pretty good success um because my timing is so bad i'll come through with my hips and then pull and so i throw it all with my low back Mm -hmm. which i seem to have very strong low back (laughs) but doing that i can't compete with those girls who are throwing 18 feet so well and even when i was in the weight room and coaching football some guys 
who were not as strong as others but had that timing, they could snatch weights that would just drive guys nuts because they knew they were stronger than that kid. Every other lift they could beat them at, but they didn't have that form and technique to do it. Yes. So, Hmm. okay. So, okay. We've talked about, you said the stone throw is not, the stone put is not one of your, the Braemar stone is not one of your best. Not my best. We're working on it. Where, where are we putting the, uh, the weight over the bar? Um, right now, I'm sitting right around 16 feet. Okay. The target would be, um, I think the world record for women right now is 17 feet, 3 inches. So Is that, that's what the heavyweight yeah the 28 pound weight so that's the that's the i mean that's the goal over 17 feet four inches well and it it doesn't you know that's one of those things where when you say well you're at 16 and 17 four that doesn't sound that far but that's yeah that's a long way with 28 pounds yes and when i ask these by no means am i being critical because i know that i couldn't get that up and over so don't ever think that i'm i'm questioning you there so and so then when you throw it i mean like if it it'll if it hits it obviously i mean does it does it have little thing i mean like to where it how it holds it like it could knock the bar off so it is held up by it's a pulley system so it's held up on um strings so you don't have to worry about knocking knocking the bar off. off however you can hit it and like swing the bar away and if it doesn't go over the bar it does not count so if you like hit it sometimes you'll see it and they'll throw up and don't have quite enough of that backward momentum and they'll land on top of the bar and then spring forward Uh that doesn't count that's a miss gotcha so if you hit it and it goes over yep it's okay there have been some times actually that i have hit it on the way up and like taken the bar up with my weight and then it f- ends up flipping over. over. Oh, that's awful. And that that it still counts, but right. it's like the ugliest possible way to do it. Gotcha. Okay. All right. What's another another event? All right. So we have um, the stones, the weight over bar, and then the the weight for distance events, um, and then the Olympic. Not the Olympic. Nope. That would be the Olympics. The hammer, which is not an Olympic hammer. Um, or it's more like a mace. So you have a, a head, which is um, usually just like a steel, kind of like a shot put, um, within a pole in it. Sometimes that pole is wood, like a broomstick. Usually they use PVC because it's got more give, in, so it lasts a little longer. The wooden ones tend to get broken pretty quickly. Um, but you have a heavy hammer and a light hammer. For men, I'm... I'm pretty sure the heavy hammer is 20 pounds, 20 or 22 pounds, and then the light hammer is 16. And for women, it's a 16-pound heavy hammer and a 12 or 14-pound light hammer. I can't remember. It's substantially lighter than the heavy hammer. So just to clarify, as we're going through this, when you go to a competition, you have to use the implements that they provide, correct? Correct. So... You do you know? Do they post those things prior to the competition? Like this one's going to be a wood hammer, or this is going to be you just show up and you generally, yeah, you just show up. Um, At this point, this I think will be my third season, so um, there are very few games on my schedule this uh, this season that I haven't been to before. So I know the athletic director, so I know kind of usually use the same implements every time. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. So your personal hammer mm-hmm. that you practice with, PVC? Yes. 
Okay. So, and that's the standard that you usually see. Yep. Okay. Very cool. Mm. Now, the one that I think is probably the coolest is the the one that we've kind of talked about with the pitchfork. Explain that one to us. So, that is called the sheaf. Um, and it is a usually you have a bale of um, it's baling twine and then you wrap it in burlap women will throw a 10 or a 12 pound sheaf men throw a 16 or a 20 pound sheaf um, and you're throwing it for height so there's a bar at a distance behind you but you are throwing it with a pitchfork so you're going to stab it with your pitchfork and you're going to try and get it up over your shoulder behind you over a bar over a bar over a bar has to clear the bar if it doesn't clear the bar it does not count so it's kind of like the weight for height, but but Correct. you're you're swinging it with a pitchfork. It's That's it's right. pretty wild really? to see. Now, y- you may not. I again, and I'm getting this information off of Wikipedia, which I understand. <laughs> sure. The the concern as with a Wikipedia. teacher, you should know, or as an educator, and that's not always the most. I agree, but I'm going to be honest. I searched a lot of Highland Game sites, and there wasn't a lot that really broke down the events. As, I mean, and like for a dumb, like dummies like us, that yeah, don't have any the, idea there is no Highland going. Games for Dummies book. <laughs> yeah, I, that's right. <laughs> I, I did did try to do some research, but it says here that some people argue that this isn't a true Highland Games event. Have you heard that? Um, I have not heard that, but I would believe it. Because it, and it, this is again from. Like from. Like from Wikipedia, it says there is significant debate among athletes as to whether the sheaf toss is in fact an authentic Highland event. Some argue it's actually a county fair event, but all agree it's a great crowd pleaser. Yes. So I don't know. I I, mean, I, I would agree with that. Um, I don't. So in the context of how you know Highland Games originated, I don't see where they would have had pitchforks or bales of hay or anything of the sort. Um, but as it sort of has become more Americanized, we're kind of making it our own. And it is a huge crowd pleaser. Well, it's cool they to see. They love it when we throw the sheaf. So, again, this to me, as much as some of the other events, I think, are very different from your collegiate throwing background, this one is totally outside of that realm. Yes. How much time has it taken to kind of get this figured out? Um, the sheaf is a mysterious creature initially so very first time i had a sheaf uh, i won the event had never seen it before used somebody else's pitchfork didn't know what i was doing at all they walked me through like the basic movements and i think because i didn't know what i was doing i just did it like i didn't really think about it um and then the next season quickly became one of the best sheaf tossers in the nation and then fell apart um (laughs) when i don't think about it it's not a difficult movement and then i got really concerned with exactly how i was trying to do it and sort of fell apart um it's not that complicated when you actually stop and look at it so there are a number of different techniques that people use but you really just have to find what's comfortable for you um because you are throwing with the fork it can create some really weird levers that you're not ready for um, and I have a, a buddy who does it, and he is actually currently the best sheaf tosser in the world. But at one point last season or two seasons ago, thought like he fractured a vertebra. Oh my gosh. Throwing the oh. sheaf. Um, he didn't. In the end, it wasn't broken, but it was something that had to be worked around for a while. But you're trying to make a check mark with your fork. So you want a big backswing, go straight down, straight up. 
that's the idea. Ideally, in one kind of one plane. So the very first time I ever threw sheaf, what I was told is you're in between two panes of glass and you're making a check mark with your fork. So if you can figure that out, not so tough. Is it more timing or more power? Hmm. For me, it's more power. Uh, timing is really important, like all of them. I have done pretty well on just power. Muscling it. Yeah. Um, really trying to get my timing honed in this semester. When your timing is right, so when that timing is there, it is probably the easiest event because it just slides off your fork. Okay. Hmm. So then we are there any other events? Am I missing one? Caber. Oh yes, that's the that's the best Can't one. Can't forget about the caber. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, tell us what is the caber toss. So the caber toss seems to be the crowd favorite. It is in fact a tree that someone has cut down, cut to a length, and then um, tapered one end so you have a hand grip and you try to flip that tree trunk end over end um so the target of the caber this one is different in how it's how it's measured the target is to get the caber to flip end over end and land exactly straight up exactly in front of you so then it is measured on the face of a clock with 12 o'clock being a perfect turn um, and then degrees off of that and then if you don't get a turn they measure it on the angle Okay. But again, going into this, you have no idea the size of the tree, the is there a standard length that you usually see? Um on women, you are probably going to get anywhere from 14 to 16 feet long. Oh my gosh. Um, but the weight is going to vary. I've had cabers that are 25 pounds, I've had cabers that are 75 pounds. Wow. So and the technique is basically, you know, you basically hold it up towards your chest, mm-hmm. you know, your gut region, and then you're just literally powering it and flipping it yep. end over end. Yep. So what's a, what? What is a typical length of a male a man the man's divisions tree? Um, I don't know that one as accurately. I think they usually go like eighteen to twenty feet. I mean, they're long. Maybe a little <laughs> really? longer. Yeah, they're they're long. And and the weight? Do you know any? No, a lot of times, so um, women don't seem to be as good at caber yet, give us time, um, but a lot of times on the men's side, they'll do a challenge caber, so it is um, either, well, they'll do challenge cabers before, so that's going to be a lighter caber that you have to turn in order to turn the competition caber, so they'll start with like uh, an 80 or a 90 pound caber to work up to 120 or 130 pound caber. Wow. Um, and wow. then I have also seen it where after they have the caber, so everyone gets a turn at the regular caber, they have a challenge caber that'll be like 150 pounds and 22 feet long. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So obviously that implement is not in your trunk. That one is not. Those are behind my house. So they, oh but you do have these. We do. Um, actually, so a couple summers ago, my training partner is Zach Riley, mm-hmm. who is a, he's a big Highland deal. He is uh, officially declared professional, so he's a pro Highland gamer. Um, he and I went to Karen Chillman's property yep. and walked around, and they cut down some trees for us and delivered them to my house. So we have a stack of trees um, that they just hang out behind my house under a tarp and those are our cabers that's pretty cool can i ask do you have neighbors 
Yes. Do they have they come across an ass like why are you out back throwing this giant tree? Oh, they haven't. Um, one of my neighbors, they have a, a animal farm, and I will notice that the cows a lot of times will come to the edge of the fence <laughs> when we're out throwing, and they just kind of hang out and watch us. Um, and no one has stopped and asked any questions, but my. Our house is the first house on kind of a long gravel drive, and a lot of times we'll be out practicing and look up, and there'll be like three or four cars where everyone's like coming home from work, and they've just stopped to watch us. <laughs> I, like, I can't believe doing? no one has come up and asked, because I, I would have to. Yeah. They cheer. They'll cheer for us from their <laughs> Especially cars. Especially like if you've seen them doing it like more than one time, be like, uh, this isn't just like, hey, they're yeah. just having a... The Fun first time, time the first time I'm like, okay, something kind of going kind of going back to how the Highland game started. I'm going to assume they've had a little bit of fun in the afternoon. Right, and, right. That's and a, they've, that's they've exactly decided right. that this is this is how they're going to challenge each other. But no, when I've come home multiple nights and yeah. they're throwing trees in their backyard, I'm probably going to stop by and check and just see what is exactly right. going on. Yeah. Uh, so. A lot of times, once again, timing is my biggest issue. So um, sometimes I'll just pick them and then just walk to get the feel for it. Because caber, you want to feel it, and it's it's tricky. Um, but So I'll just pick it up and then walk it as far across my yard as I can, and I hear the cars going by, and it's just, I just have this tree <laughs> trunk, and I'm just hunkered over just walking with this tree trunk, trying not to drop it, and I can't imagine what they're thinking. <laughs> Is the balance part of it yes. difficult? Yes. Um, so that's the biggest issue. So because women's cabers are fairly light i mean in the grand scheme of it 75 pounds isn't a lot right right um even when you're you know carrying it on your belly and holding it awkwardly um so the biggest issue is keeping it up getting up and getting control of it if you don't have control of it and try to turn it you're probably not going to turn it you might break it you're almost definitely going to hurt yourself um because it's just a tree i mean you're just carrying a tree trunk so I have been working on getting that balance, and so I just pick it up, and I apparently really like to do it on windy days. Seems the only time I do it now, but it's windy all the time now because it's spring. Um, But just pick it up and just walk around and let the wind catch it and try to move with it and figure out, okay, so if it does this, I need to move like this to gain control. So that way, if I'm at a competition and it's super windy, hopefully I can still turn a caber. Wow. So when we when we're talking about that caber toss, what is kind of the technique? Obviously, we're trying to balance. When you now, is there a set? You know, you said kind of the trig earlier. Is mm-hmm. there a set area you you have? Not usually. They generally just take us to an open area of the field where we're far enough away from spectators that we don't hurt somebody. Um, and you, if it's a smaller field, you'll be given a step limit. Um, if it's a bigger field, you can kind of run wherever you want. So generally, you have to take at least three steps in a, to declare a direction. And then from those three steps, you can throw. Because you have to be headed a specific direction so they can judge you on that direction. So is there a, is there a beyond the set limit, is there a certain area it has to hit in? No. Just it, So even if you kind of twist, as long as it's 12 o'clock from the direction you... Correct. You, Okay. Yep. Try not to throw it into the spectators. <laughs> that would that is that's, there is there the a deduction? Rule. That's the I don't actually think so. If I throw it into the stands and it's twelve o'clock, I'm going to demand that twelve o'clock be recorded. I just said I really want to come to the Highland Games. Now I'm concerned about where to sit at, but just be ready to run. Okay, I can I can do that. 
When now, as you're coming up to throw the caber, do you want it to start kind of falling away from you? You do. So um, the caber first. You're going to um, so use tacky. I actually just use spray glue because I found it works the best. So you're going to essentially glue your hands, your fingers together. Really? Yes. It took me a long time to get used to that. Um, but most powerful position, those fingers are stuck together, and you to pick it. That's to get it into your hands. It's like the very bottom of a power clean. So okay. you're going to lean that puppy against your shoulder. And I squeeze it with my neck because I'm still a little bit timid, a little bit afraid of it. Um, and you're going to work your hands down. And so, you, so squeeze, get as close to the bottom as you need to, squeeze with your palms, and then drive your hips like you're doing, you're starting a power clean, and pop the caber up, and then try to catch it on your pinkies and your ring fingers. Okay. Which are glued dramatically together. <laughs> At oh that point, you want to get it up. I like to carry it kind of just above my belly button because um, it still gives me some room to move. If you get it up too high, you're really kind of stuck doing whatever the caber wants you to do. And then from there, you are going to walk or run. Um, I push really hard into the caber, so I'm pulling my hands in towards my belly, and I'm pushing my right shoulder into the caber. And depending on how much space we have and how long it takes me to really gain control and feel balanced... Um, I usually try to take three hard steps, driving my right shoulder into the caber. And when I feel the pressure release from my shoulder, pull your hands up through your chin as fast as you can. Wow. I really need to, we really need to Google this. I just want to say. Oh, I watch videos <laughs> before. I'm just interested now because I'm like, okay, like I just want to actually see somebody do it. It's e- interesting. And even back when she was still she was still teaching with us, um, when she first started getting into it and she would talk about it. Mike Green and I spent a long time oh, sure. in, in the office on YouTube. Like, does she really do this? Know, Is this right? what she does? <laughs> because we every time we'd see her in the hallway, we'd have a conversation like, okay, now, do you really throw this? And she'd be like, yeah, that's that's all. Like, So obviously, like, it, at a competition, you do all of the events? Um, that depends on the time and the athletic director. Ideally, you do all of them. You have to do at least five in order for it to be counted as a games. Okay. Um, so if you don't do at least five, it won't get recorded in NASGA, which you don't want to do that. Um, but usually, yeah, you'll do seven to nine events. Okay. Is the caber usually last? Yes. Okay, because I was going to say, I would think after I've glued my glue hands them, yeah. together, I wouldn't... Well, yeah, um... The hammers, people also tend to use tacky. Really? So, yeah, because you ideally are creating a lot of force, um, and the perfect hammer is a long hammer, so you don't want to be squeezing onto it super tight. So you use some pretty good tacky so your hands are relatively glued until you let go of it. Okay. And then sometimes it takes some of your skin with it. Ugh. That's that's awesome. Par for the course. <laughs> it's, it's I guess take them I mean, up for the a, team on that one. Yeah, I carry I, a little uh, little spray bottle of like the new skin yeah. stuff in my bag. So if it rips off, I can just spray some new skin on it. We're good. I mean, if you're going to be in the Highland Games, I mean, you I should lose I'm, some skin somewhere. Obviously, you got to be pretty you gotta tough. Be tough. Yeah. I mean, yeah. no no disrespect to ballerinas, but it's it's not the ballet. No. I mean. No, not at all. And competitions can last anywhere from six to ten hours, so you got to be tough if you're in it. Really? Wow. Okay, so let's let's move into some of those competitions. This is year number three for you. I think so. They're all starting to run together, but I do believe 
I'm moving into my third season. How many competitions per year do you typically do? Um, maybe 17 or 18. Really? Wow. Um, and it really can be however much or however little you want. This season, we're having an issue. There's a group out of Ohio that does a lot of games that are relatively local, two to three hour drive from Columbus, and they are not able to do as many games they lost a bunch of festivals so most highland games are associated with a scottish or an irish festival oh okay and they lost festivals because towns didn't renew permits or there wasn't enough um interest and so i'm having a really hard time coming up with games this first half of the season um like saturday i'm headed to missouri well that was that was my next question is like how far do you have to travel for some of these yeah i try not to travel more than two or three hours and i'm sure you could really travel if you wanted to travel um there are some in i think right at the beginning of may there's a big game that's in british columbia um there are some out in oregon and washington i mean is it is it is there any like in the United States, like a re- any region like the Midwest that has a lot more than others, or is it just pretty sporadic? It's pretty sporadic. Um, it's becoming more and more common. So right. lots of lots of areas are jumping on the bandwagon. Interesting. Um, do you look for sponsors in this to help you? I have not in the past. Um, I'm starting to kind of put that in my mind. Um, up to this point, I did not realize kind of how much success i could have in the highland games and what it would take to do that um so probably that's probably a a conversation that will happen in the pretty near future um because there are a lot of pay games even for women um but you have to get there first so so what is the process of getting there well Mostly, so most of the big games you have to first you have to apply, which is just an online application or an email to the athletic director. Um, really simple information, you know, what are your PRs? What was your NASGA right. rank at the end of last year? Which then they can go back and look up. So yeah, I was gonna say because so you it's know, not like you could lie. it doesn't really <laughs> help you to lie. I I can't apply today and say I've I've done all this yeah. stuff. No. Um, so, although I've run into some issues because my name did change at the end of last season, uh-huh. uh, now yes. I'm competing as someone new, but that's been, they've been pretty good at working with me. Um, but so you're going to go through and apply, and if you get accepted, then generally you just have to find your way there. And so for some of them, it's not a big deal to get there. For others, that might mean, you know, airfare, hotels, yeah. all that stuff. Um, I've never been, I've never been denied a games. So, well, I'll throw it out now. I mean, if we have any listeners that are that are looking to sponsor someone in in something kind of unique or different, That'd I mean, cool. um, reach out to us. Hit us up on our social media. We'll put you in contact with uh, you know Victoria because again, and, and I I've not only worked with Victoria but I now follow her on on Facebook and if we're going to get into kind of her training regimen and stuff here in just a second but this is not just I mean it's not just a hobby I don't want to no. call it a hobby because you're working all the time right. to compete at this it is it is like a part-time job um it, it's a little bit more than a part-time job really because every decision has to be made based on does this help me does this make me better or 
you know, doesn't make me worse. There are very few decisions that are you know, neutral, don't impact it at all. So it really is. It's more than a so you, part-time job. So you said like the season kind of start or well, I mean, kind of it's starting to kick off. Mm-hmm. So you're going to start this weekend. I mean, how far like when does that the season, I guess, typically run it? depending on where you are is almost year round okay um so i will compete technically march the arnold classic was my first games um so i will compete open my season then and i'll compete through october there's a games in indy the second weekend in october um, but after that, it is usually too cold right. around here, and school has started up again, so it's really kind of hard for right. me to take three or four days and go you know, to California Somewhere, or yeah. Arizona. In warmer places like California and Arizona, they'll compete into December. Interesting. Okay. Is the now am I am I correct because we've talked a lot about all these games are outside. Is the Arnold Classic inside though? It is. That I mean, is it is the March in Cleveland. Games. So, yeah. oh yeah. I mean, yeah. So, but it now is that does that kind of change everything for you? It does. So the Arnold is really fun. Um, and this was the second time that they have had us there for their indoor games, but because it is indoor, everything is heavier. Ah, uh, to lessen the... Um, yeah, so, oh. well, not everything. So we only throw the Braemar, but instead of throwing a stone, we actually just throw an indoor shot put. Um, and so we'll throw a 14, I think it's 14, 14 pound indoor shot put. And then we have a 28 pound weight, but it's actually this special weight made by Rogue. Um, and it's just all fabric. So, which is really cool, but so it doesn't hurt anything when That's it lands cool. on the right. ground. Um, and then we do weight over bar with a standard weight, and they just put a lot of rubber mats on the floor and hope yeah. for the best. I think every year we break the weight, though. Well, and the the one the video I watched, I kind of brought up earlier, was the the sheaf toss, mm-hmm. and the guy the bar was underneath the rafter, but his toss went over the metal rafter in the building and then came. It was it was yes, unbelievable. Really? That was actually a world record. That was it was he, unbelievable. He set a world record that day. Yeah. And I'll pull up the video for you later, yeah. but this guy was It's impressive. Yeah, he's he's kind of a freak. He <laughs> is one of the best in the nation as well. Wow. So, let's talk about a little bit about your your training. And obviously, you know, I've known you you were you were a collegiate athlete, a collegiate coach. You've you've always been one who has stayed in the weight room and continued to train, but obviously with this as in anything any of us do, whenever we have a competition or something to look forward to, I think our training ramps up more than it does when we're just, you know, maintaining. Yeah, I mean, right. the the year that we decided we were going to run the mini marathon, I was really good at running four or five times a week, and I'm still waiting to recover from that mini marathon about five years ago yeah. to get back into running form. Um, I just want to make sure my body's fully recovered before I get back. <laughs> That's right. It makes uh, sense. That yeah. Makes sense. Recovery you time is important. Yeah. I told my, my players every year I coach that recovery is very important, and I'm on a five-year recovery right now from a mini marathon. But uh, So kind of take us through what your training regimen looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I am also actually a certified strength and conditioning coach. Um, so the weight room is really my home away from home. So my training varies depending on the season, the time of year. Um, but it is always kind of a cycle of, okay, now 
postseason, so the end of October will start like a, a building phase. I don't want to say bulking because I'm an adult now, so like just gaining <laughs> lots of extra weight to get stronger isn't a great plan. Um, but so through the winter, we usually focus on, okay, it's time to get bigger, time to get stronger. And then once we start getting closer to the Arnold, so like right now, um, I do kind of a conjugate program. So the first two days of the week is Monday is a really heavy lower body day. And then Tuesday is a really heavy upper body day. Wednesday is um, lots of mobility and kind of recovery. And then Thursday and Friday are speed. So like Monday and this cycle has been just brutal. Um, But I write my own programs. So I know... I know what I'm in for. I, I saw have. you mention that on Facebook the other day, that you yeah. write your own programs, but they're awful. I have no one to be angry with but myself, because um, I'm the jerk who sets the goals, and then I'm the jerk who makes the program to meet the goals. <laughs> right. Um, but so, like, Monday, I will do heavy clean pulls, and then heavy back squats, um, and then some just brutal hamstring work. Um because that's a weakness for myself. And then on Thursday, I will do uh, box squats with a pause, but only at like 60 to 65% of my max. So moving really quickly and then um, really short timed rests in between. So just recruiting as fast as I can. So to... Are there any lifts that you do that are more specific to the events you do? Or is it mostly, do you stay pretty well with the Olympic lifts and those kind of things? I stay pretty well with the Olympic lifts um, because I like them. And there, Mm -hmm. you know, if it works, it works. Uh, There is some specific, some hammer-specific stuff that I will do. Hammer-specific. What I do is all hammer-specific. There are all event-specific workouts that you can get if you know the right people. Um, they are mostly kind of core mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I don't do a, too, a whole lot with it. I just prefer to do drills. So in the off season, is most of it just like lifting and that kind of stuff? Or do you also practice, you know, like your technique? And I mean... Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, where do you where do you practice? I mean, we heard about the one that you do in your backyard, but like some of the other ones. Yeah. So um, I like for off season to mostly be lifting because I'm going to get up and go to the gym anyway. But that doesn't help you get better at actually throwing stuff. Um, So off season is a lot when it's cold and snowy. It's a lot of drills. And I actually just do those in my garage. Oh, okay. We have um, I have a trig that I have taped on the floor. Um and I'd move all the cars out and um, our garage is not conditioned space, but it's really well insulated space. So once I get in it and start moving, I can usually get it up to, you know, 65 degrees, which is pretty comfortable. Um, And then I just go through whatever drills I can go through in my little tape trig. Very cool. That's cool. So just because, and I know how impressive you are as a, you talked about your power and I, again, I'm an old football coach that spent a lot of time in the weight room um, watching. Uh, if you look at me now, you can tell that I've not spent a whole lot of time lifting lately, uh, but a lot of time working with kids in the weight room. Can you tell us what your maxes are? Because I think a lot of people would be impressed with what you're able to do, because your power is very impressive. Um, 
I can give you a rough estimate. I actually haven't maxed out in a long time. That's okay. Um, so I know my power clean max is sitting somewhere like 225, 235. Um, snatches are not as good, really like 140 mm-hmm. is my top end. Um, I have not maxed a power lift in quite some time because that doesn't translate quite as well to my sport. Um, I can say, let's see, this week on deadlifts, I did four sets of eight at 275. Oh, my gosh. So I'm going to guess my max is is pretty good. Um, (laughs) Back squat last time I tested was somewhere around 335. I'm not a good squatter because I have a really absurdly long femurs so i travel in a weird path mm-hmm. um and bench press i think is somewhere around 225 um i've been doing sets of 10 with 135 and 145 so can probably move a pretty good amount that's you <laughs> know that, that that was like in high school was probably like my max <laughs> she's doing it 10 times and i'm like struggling <laughs> <laughs> you it it the basketball that you shot from the three point line wasn't nearly <laughs> as heavy. lighter yeah. than a lot yeah. of the stuff she said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You had a pretty good athletic career, but with much lighter implements, <laughs> much lighter <laughs> than yeah. what what Victoria's used. So, kind of tell us. You know, you said you're going to Missouri here this weekend. For some of our listeners that may be around this area, what are some places or some games that you know of that we could look up? I mean, I I don't want to force you off the top of your head to have every date, but where, where are some places we come watch you? Well, um, the Columbus Games is... Um, Columbus, Indiana? Columbus, Indiana. Really? We have a Scottish festival. It's the weekend after Labor Day, so I think maybe the 8th and 9th of September. Um, mm. Not exactly sure on the dates, but it is the weekend after Labor Day, always. So you can come out to that. We're working really hard to make that a bigger festival and a bigger game so we will have two days of competition so we'll have groups competing saturday and sunday um and we will have a couple pros out on the field just giving tips and talking to people and we will have commentators all day long explaining what's happening on the field so it's pretty cool and then I think the 14th is the second weekend in October. There's the uh, games in Indianapolis, which yeah. is also pretty good. It's a pretty good games. And I think they have a, a decent festival. Um, if you are up to travel, the Dublin Irish Festival in Dublin, Ohio, is in August. First or second weekend in August. It is awesome. Really? really? I would recommend if you are not opposed to a um, couple hours in the car, it's an awesome festival, huge festival. Um, they'll have a gigantic main stage with performers all day long, mm-hmm. and they have you know so tons of clans. If you're Scottish and you want to know about heritage, or if you're not Scottish and you want to know about heritage, they have clans and they display their tartans and their family history, and then they have a huge field. That's one of the games you have to apply mm-hmm. to get right. into, um, and you have to be hitting certain marks. If you're not hitting those marks, you don't get in. Wow. They want to put on a good show. Wow. So with the uh, the Columbus Games, again, to kind of throw that out there, um, if somebody's interested in sponsoring the games, are the games looking for sponsors as well? Probably. Okay. Um, I can get you that contact information. Yeah, um, if you want to, we'll share it out on our social media so yeah. that, um, again, we, we don't have a huge following yet, but we'll at least get it out to those That's people cool. and, and, and do what we can. Because Yeah, I didn't even know that they did that. 
it, it is a really cool thing, I think, to go see. Um, if somebody's listening that maybe has been a high school thrower or a collegiate thrower and or you know just enjoys throwing heavy things and that's the best way you describe it <laughs> yes. when i've talked to you several times is i just i just, I just throw like heavy it. things I and just like it. if they do how do they get started where do they go look for people that maybe you know can help them in this mm, that's a really good question um you can find more and more online kind of on social media people who are interested um I guess if there are people listening who really want to give it a go, um, if they wanted to reach out to me, we could certainly set something up. Um, I can't guarantee I'll train with them all the time, but I could hang out with them and get them started. I don't actually know, so I had a friend talk me into it. We competed in the Columbus Games because it was right at home. Might as well. I bought um, a kilt off of Amazon, had it like prime shipped to me because I don't know what I was doing. Right. Um, it's also a heavy wool. Don't get a wool kilt, turns out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know uh, yeah, anything right. about it. So I, found, I good, found the good cheapest, cheapest kilt that That's I could what find. I would do. <laughs> I've not shot for a whole lot of it's kilts Amazon in my day. Amazon Prime and cheap. So, <laughs> you yeah, know. right. What, what we do. Um, and actually, he and I both won the Columbus Games, and he decided he was going to make it a whole thing. I just went on about my life like, okay, that was fun. You know, it is what it is. Um and he made some contacts in the sport, started doing it, and then the following June, so that was September, the next June, he um, once again just kind of peer pressured me and said, hey, I'm going to those games in Kentucky. It's the first weekend in June. You're not in school anymore. You don't have any excuses. <laughs> like, if nothing else, you can come along and we'll hang out and it'll be a fun day. And so, yeah, fine, whatever. I'm not doing anything. I guess I can go. Um, and I went down, and he, God bless him, uh, he didn't pay a lot of attention, so he had no idea that women didn't compete that day. Oh, man. <laughs> so I had to throw with the men. That was my options. Either not throw and drive three hours to Kentucky and sit under a tent all day and watch them throw, or just throw with them. So, Knowing you, you threw with I them. I just yeah. threw with them. I actually beat a good number of them. I was very pleased. Um, That's awesome. So I just jumped in with the guys and threw with the guys, and it was... You know, a hit or miss day because they started sheaf higher than women would have. So I didn't right. do so great there. Um, but so competed, came home, was, you know, thinking about it. Um, at that games, I met a pro who he was competing in. He was an exhibition, so he wasn't te- technically competing, but he was throwing in the master's class. And he said, you know, you seem like you're really good at this. You seem like you have a knack for it. I think you should keep going. So, you know, taking that bringing it home with me we talked about it the drive home um a couple weeks later get contact from this gentleman who said i really think that you need to keep doing it i'm bringing my kids for um a hammer lesson because zach my training partner was also in the uh olympic trials hammer thrower so he's really wow. good yeah he's really good at sports um so i'm bringing my boys up to to train with zach for a day i have some stuff for you and when uh 
Brady came up, he had made me every female implement. Like he just went home and made them and like found me a fork and brought it all up and said, okay, now you have everything. You don't have an excuse <laughs> not no, to do now it. Now really no excuses. It's always peer pressure with yeah, you. Yeah, it's apparently I give in to peer pressure. <laughs> so at that point I did. It was kind of like, well, I have everything. I really don't have an excuse. And he took the time to make me all these. And right. maybe he just had them laying around and was just getting rid of old junk. But it meant something it, it did it made me it made me feel very special yeah so we went for it turns out i'm pretty good at it and i've got some lessons from my education classes on peer pressure i'll share those with you <laughs> yeah. after we get off the show some some strategies i appreciate that for, for helping to deal with that um you've talked a little bit about you know zach being a pro and, and being a pro what is the difference between the amateur and the pro on the women's side absolutely nothing at this point on the men's side once you have turned pro you can no longer compete amateur okay so they have classes on sometimes they have classes on the women's side but not as often because we don't have quite enough competitors but on the men's side you have um lightweights which is under 200 pounds typically some games it'll be under 190 so if you're a smaller person you can yeah you're talking about the weight of the actual the weight of the physical yeah of the physical person so if you're a smaller guy um or just really tall and thin, you can compete against smaller people. Uh, And then they have C, B, and A class amateurs. Cs are novices who have either never done a games um, or haven't done very many. Once you win a games as a C, you become a B class competitor. When you win a games as a B, you become an A class competitor. Okay. Once you are an A, you stay an A indefinitely until you age into a master's class. or if you get good enough, you can declare yourself professional and try to get invited to pro games. Pro games means you get paid. Okay. So, but once you have declared pro, there's no going back to being an amateur. Mm. So probably more travel, more yes. commitment, because yes. you're not going to have all those amateur games to go right. around. Correct. Um, but most of the pro games that Zach is going to be traveling to, um, he's going to get a travel stipend. So okay. they're going to pay. Right. They're going to pay to get him there. They're going to put him in a hotel, wherever he is, and then there's prize money on top of it. All right. The master class, because I saw that in the Columbus games when I looked it up. There's a master class and an amateur class. Correct. Correct. What's the difference there? I think you have to be forty. To, be so a, that, to compete in the Masters 40 or 45. So Masters is kind of like the senior and yes. senior PGA oh, or whatever. Yes. Okay. And some games, if they're big enough, they'll have stages of Masters classes. So okay. like 40 to 50, 50 to 60. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. All right. Well, we are at, crazy enough, we're at an hour that we've been talking about the Highland Games. Um, That's crazy. And I want to first of all say that, you know, thank you for coming down and spending time with us yeah you're very welcome thank you for inviting me it's it's a really really cool thing and i'm just going to throw it out right now and i've already talked about it if anybody is kind of interested in going to a games um when did you say the dublin one was august i think the second week in august i can send you the exact dates when i get home i have it all on my schedule yeah shoot those to me and I'll, and we'll talk about them on our our next episode but yeah. my plan is to attend one of the games whether that's columbus Indy, or dublin but i'm kind of leaning towards dublin after you brought that up if somebody wants to jump in the car and ride with me we're gonna go over i think we're gonna do a little bit of a remote married with children the podcast over we'll go over and get some interviews and talk to some people and and i think that could be a real interesting follow-up um 
obviously I'm going to ask that you come back after we attend the games. Oh yeah, I would love for you if Zach is willing to come back as well. Absolutely, have him come on as well, so we can we can kind of talk this because, you know. And give me some time to watch some of these videos so I can like watch it and be like, and then I, I mean, I did tell you last week she was coming. I know, I know. I mean, but now that I've heard about it, now I can like watch and be like, oh yeah, that's what she was talking about. So what you're saying is you weren't interested in her until she came and now you are. No, I'm not saying that. (laughs) Well, it kind of sounded like that. (laughs) Um, So, but, but what I want everybody to know is a lot of times around here in in southern indiana we say that well there's nothing to do there's nothing you know there's no entertainment and i think sometimes we miss interesting and unique things like this yeah i mean even if you think there's no way i would be interested in that go and watch it one time and see see what it's like because if you and if you haven't youtube some of these videos because the the events when you watch the men and the women involved in this it is not only skill but the power and and strength involved is unbelievable yes so again if you if you have interest in sponsoring victoria um, please reach out to us, marriedwithchildrenshow yeah. at gmail.com, or hit us up on our social media. I will be happy to put you in contact with, with her. Um, and I will even throw out a little bit of a special here. If you will reach out to sponsor Victoria, because I am so gracious that she came on as a guest, I will give you sponsorship time on the podcast for sponsoring her so you get a kind of a a, a double deal one, yeah. if yeah. you will if you will sponsor her and her quest here in the highland games um and you reach out to us i will also put you on for the rest of the the calendar year on every episode i will list you as a sponsor of the married with children show podcast um so that's a that's a two for one right there you get to help her and you get some a little bit of a, a publicity here as well so that sounds like a great deal hey <laughs> Um, if anyone is interested and strong ladies specifically is your jam, um, another one that's really cool is in Glasgow, Kentucky. Okay. The first weekend in June. Um, so a little earlier in the season, but it is women's nationals. So it will be essentially the top 10 women in the nation competing head to head. And you will be there. I have not yet been invited. Um, which I don't know if that's because invites haven't gone out. Uh, so they start that by just asking the top 10 women right. on the list if they want to come. And I actually finished last season 12th on NASGA okay. because oh, okay. my season ended right after the Columbus Games. And it was not a great season um, because I got married and moved and got a new job. <laughs> you yeah. had a few so things going on. I had a lot on my plate, and Highland Games kind of took a backseat. Um, so I assume that at 12th I'm still going to get invited, but I haven't gotten the email yet. Let us know. Yeah. If you get that email, again, we'll For push sure. that out on our social media because that would be a good games to go to and watch as well. Yeah. Um, and again, guys, I'm just going to say it. If, if you're looking for something unique and you've got a business – this is not just a hobby. It's not it's not a pastime for Victoria. She is working constantly at it and and it's really cool to to watch and and I will definitely be at the games this this uh summer and this season to to support her and watch her and and get some more interviews. So if you if you are interested in helping her out, please get with us and let us know. Victoria, again, I'm going to say thank you so much yeah, for coming thanks. down. Yeah, I know it's, it's been a, fun. I know it's a little bit of a drive from Columbus, and, <laughs> and we really appreciate it. So Absolutely. Anytime. 
Callie, anything else? Nope, I'm good. All right, everybody have a great week. Thank you. All right, before we take off tonight, I want to, again, point you guys in the direction of a couple great podcasts if you're looking for something else to to take a listen to. The first one being Smugcast. Again, it is a male and adult-themed podcast, but a great one if you're into kind of male-adult humor. Uh, check out the guys AP and BJ at Smugcast. Uh, they just started a great video platform on Twitch. Uh, you can check them out on Saturday nights, I believe, or most of the times that they're going to be recording, so check them out on Twitch. And then our guest coming up next Saturday is uh, Justin Juice Kelly from the Juice in the Morning podcast. Uh, make sure you download and uh, on all of those. Please subscribe, rate, and review each one of those, uh, along with our podcast. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast as well. So check out those podcasts uh, when you get a chance. Again, thank you for tuning in. And today we're going to play ourselves out with a little little Scottish traditional music uh, that would fit right in with our Highland Games uh, theme today. So check out a little Scottish traditional music.